everybody. Good afternoon. Um, we are the Midwives with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. I'm Andy, one of the midwives. And my name's Shaylin. I'm also a midwife. And there's three midwives with Holistic Heritage Home Birth. We're all certified nurse midwives. And we serve the greater Houston area. Yes. And, and we love doing it. We are excited. We had a couple babies last week and they were really sweet because yeah. um, they didn't all choose you. <laughs> I had a baby too and it was the most beautiful birth and they talked to each other, which is nice. As a midwife, the babies don't all come on the same day. Yes, that is nice. And I was really jealous that I wasn't at that birth because I got to be at our last birth. I'm sorry. So And I, got, I didn't get to be at the last birth. So this we, was equal. It was equal. Um, but they were all great births. They really were. We Bra Bravo, family. Good work. Um, today, we're going to talk about something pretty cool that we typically don't talk about because we normally focus on women's health and what we do. Right. But so much of what we do, and, and I think the outside world doesn't realize it, is focusing on the family and partners are part of the family. So today we're going to focus on the partner's experience. What is the daddy feeling? How are, are we able to support them? And, and what is their experience like? Because research so often, like when I was looking it up, all the research I found and, and even the books I found, like The Birth Partner, which is a brilliant book, it's focused in on how can they support the birther versus how can we support them? How can we support the partner? Yes. And I think that's brilliant because this changes their life, too. I agree. I just ordered a book from Amazon. I'll share it with you guys um, as soon as I read it because I don't want to endorse it until I read it. But really, it talks about um, the father's experience of how his life is changing from being single to now having a family because there are big changes for um the partner as well Absolutely. in this so um big emotions I'm, I'm excited to read it so i can evaluate it to see if i feel like it's a good fit but there is some books out there if you guys want to do your own research and pull it i think it's a good idea and in celebration because we're talking about men today i know <laughs> First off, I have this. Okay, look, I we have a podcast now. So if you don't listen to it live, go listen to it on the podcast. It's on, I think, every platform you can find. Just Google, not Google, search Midwife Monday or even Midwife and you'll find it. It's a really cute uh, gray logo and it says Midwife Monday. I don't want to hear about scared testicles again. No, no, we're not <laughs> talking about testicles today. Um, but because we're celebrating men, we have to talk about the fact that they had a day yesterday. And I don't know if you know it, but March 14th every year is Steak and BJ Day. No, I didn't know that. All I knew it was Pie Day. It is Pie Day, which we should have both said in pie and celebrated. I told you we should have celebrated by sitting in pie and then having our husbands go to work. But it's I PI, like the mathematical right, thing. Right, but I don't understand Steak and BJ Day. BJ, BJ, guys, <laughs> I still don't understand. I think that somebody just made a Hallmark moment and, and wanted to be but silly. I don't have a clue why, but it's a real okay. day. And I was so pleased. Normally, I hate that I have a fever blister. I have a fever blister, y'all, which is like the unsexiest thing uh, on earth. So you got out Ugh. of the BJ. I got out of the second <laughs> BJ day because I had a fever blister. Sorry, honey. But um, don't even pretend he didn't know it was that day and he asked for other things that were even... Like my once a year doing it in the booty thing. Oh, my God. I can't believe you went there. <laughs> Only once a year. It wasn't terrible this time. Normally, I'm like, yeah, I'm never doing that again. I might do it again. Uh, no. Yeah. It's an exit only. How did you celebrate? I got Steak and BJ No, Day? I slept. I hadn't slept in 36 hours. So. Oh, Ted. I came home. 
what? I got home around three. I slept until five thirty when I was woke up to have dinner with the family, and then I went back to bed. It's an IOU day. No. Come on. No. I'm no, trying. To to I'm trying for you, Tad. You actually texted me and said, tell Tad I'm on now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we digress. That is my celebration of men. Y'all have your own special day to get um, treated. Um, but it ain't today. That was yesterday. So, I'm sure some men play at the holiday. You know they did. But it's a good day. They hmm. deserve it. They deserve it. Hmm. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's kind of jump into it. And it's so funny because the whole way over here, when I was reviewing in my mind, how I was going to talk about uh, this in particularly, I had the, um, that song, um, <laughs> what's her name? I can't think of it. Oh, geez. You know, why men great till they gotta be great. You don't know what do you? No. I just took a DNA test. Turned out I'm a hundred percent that bitch. You don't know it. <laughs> And listen, listen, so why, are men, why are men so awesome until we really need them to be awesome? And this is why they don't have the support. They don't have the, the education. And that's what we need to do for them. And that's what's going to make the experience. So Lizzo was really talking about birth in that song. Mm, not really. So. <laughs> not really. But that's what I kept. I keep reviewing it in my mind. Like, oh, men, great. It's right. interesting that you say that because I think fathers are amazing at birth. But that's not how they feel. Um, right. So later on, I'm going to talk about the words. Like when you look at the two different um, groups of men that were in this study, um, the men and the words they used who had midwifery support versus who didn't right. have that experience, the words and the scriptures of their birth were starkly different. I will say that I feel like in general that we as women may have un... Um, realistic expectations of how they should support us. And I think that's a communication issue of not really communicating our needs and us having expectation that they're going to read our minds and support us the way we're going to be supported. And two, they're terrified. This sure. is a person that they love more than anybody on the planet and they love their baby and they're helpless. Like they can't fix it. They can't save the life. They can't do anything. So they, I feel like, um, from the feedback I've gotten that they can, it's pretty, it can be pretty terrifying for them. I would imagine so. I would imagine it feels like how we feel when we're at the emergency room with one of our children. Right. And we feel helpless and all those things because um, we don't know what to do and we can't do it. And we're watching our heart outside of our body sitting there struggle. Right. Um, it's very hard. I get it. So everything we're going to talk about is based on this Norwegian study. It was actually a really big study and it was, um, it was a qualitative study, which means um, not numbers. It's it's more about experience, which I actually like qualitative studies. I think we learn a lot from them. Um, and when they looked at it, what the moral at the very end of the entire study, they decided is that good experiences across the board were based on three things. Um, midwifery support. Um, them actually being there. Actually so he's talking being, about good experience for the birth experiences for them, right? Right. For the partner. For the partner. Was midwifery support and information. And I think that those are such easy things to tap into. So why aren't we tapping into them? Right. I think we do, though. No, we in do. Midwifery care. We do. But so No, you're right. And I don't feel like, especially if you think about what's going on in this year of COVID, traditional medical care, um, 
fathers aren't being allowed to go to any of the visits. So they're not being included. They're not getting any information from the provider themselves. They're getting it secondhand from their spouse which we know when that information goes from one source to another, it gets a little bit tailored down. Right. Um, you don't get the full picture. Um, so I bet they're terrified. And it's funny that you say that because there was another article that really talked about um, Western culture more, like for us. Uh, and, and over time, like in the 1960s, that's really when we saw a shift where, okay, maybe the partner is going to start coming into the birthing space, but it really wasn't smiled upon. Right. But in, in the seventh, in the seventies, there was more of a female revolution where we were demanding our partners being there. And that was cool. And it was because the role was always breadwinner. The role was always right. provider versus support versus partner. Uh, and when we changed the words, the history actually changed and, and the face of culture actually changed. I feel like it was really the eighties when it was, when that uh, big culture change went into effect. The end of the 70s, actually, because you were talking about COVID and it sounded so familiar to the history. At the end of the 70s, um, men were demanding it and they were getting falsified Lamas education card because you had to have this card to get into the birth space. And, and midwives all over Houston were falsifying this documentation because partners belong in the birth space. Right. But there was pushback from the industry and the, you know, the powers that be that were saying, oh, having somebody else in the birth space is a risk for infection. Right. And when I read that, I'm like, OK, where did I hear that before? Right now in this time? And we're trying to rewind the clock to where partners aren't in the birth space. Uh, no, thank you. No, your partner is not a risk for infection. You live together every day. You've got every germ that they could ever have on you. And they're beautiful germs that you guys share. Right. It cracks me up a little bit because, you know, that's what they've been doing in hospitals, separating families um, because of COVID. Um, even though you've been sleeping together at home this whole time. So you get in the hospital and all of a sudden you're a risk to each other. Mm -hmm. And to the baby. It is ridiculous. Even if one partner gets it, you've already been sleeping together. Why? There's no need to separate at this point. Yeah. Exposed. Yeah. It makes me sad. The whole thing right now is making me sad. Um in, in one of those articles, it was explaining how physicians in that time, the words they were using to partners who actually wanted to come to the birth, they were explaining birth as barbaric, that they would not be sexually attracted to their partner anymore because of the things that they would see. It was grotesque. It, you might be a nuisance as you're going to be interfering. That is the message that papas and partners were receiving in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, and I think even now, some of those words would ring true as far as feeling like an interference. Yeah. And I feel like um, sometimes that has a result of that helpless feeling too. So if they're not there, they don't have to be responsible. Yeah. Somebody else's. And it's so important for the partner to be there because there's research that shows how much better outcomes are when you have that person to be your voice, to be there for you when you're vulnerable and you don't have the ability to tap into your own voice. Yep. We see less pain, um, less asking for pain control, which is an intervention that causes other things to go awry and just better experiences on an outcome. And we don't put enough, enough weight and gravity on the experience as a whole and how we um, reflect on that. And that father's role, um, anecdotally, when I think about it, um, you know, I've been a midwife now for almost seven years, over 500 births. 
Um, the support person's role is paramount because she loves you, if fathers are listening, loves you more than anyone else on the planet. And his belief in her is paramount. And I have actually seen um, where women are on the verge of quitting, they're struggling, and it's their spouse that brings them through. You think it's us bringing you through, mm -hmm. but it is your spouse by your side, believing in you, encouraging you, loving you, um, that's giving you the strength that you need to get to that next level. And I have seen it go the other way, where he feels, these are the words someone used to me once, she's too weak. She's Aww. too tired. She can't do this. And you know what? If your spouse or the person you love is saying those things to you, and they're trying to be sympathetic, right? Oh, you're so tired, honey. Mm. I know. This is too hard for me. We can just go. We can go to the hospital. We can. You can have a C-section. It's all right. Because it kills him to see her struggling. Absolutely. And then that's an easy solution for him. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying he's trying to fix it. That's how he's trying to fix it. And that's it. how they were created. Is right. To fix. But those words puts it into her head that she can't, that she is too tired, that it's too much. And then they quit and then they get that C-section. I mean, I've seen it more than once. His belief, that partner belief in you is paramount. And that's where education is huge, yes. that, they, that they understand that their role is not fixer in birth because there's nothing yeah. to fix. Good point. Nothing to fix. It's already perfect and normal and exactly the way it's supposed to be. So when we can release ourselves from the Bob the Builder role yes. and step into the nurturing support role, it's better. But they don't know that they right. can release themselves from that. And I know with childbirth education, that's why it's so paramount for the fathers to come to those classes. It's not just her. How does she cope with labor? It's teaching him how she needs to cope with labor so he can help her with those steps. It's mm -hmm. teaching him how to be confident in the whole process. Um, paramount. Right. And just anticipatory guidance. Yeah. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Girl, <laughs> <laughs> So what we see is um, frustrations and anxieties when they don't know what to expect. For example, if we've already told them, hey, a first-time labor could last 24, 48 hours, when it lasts 24 and 48 hours, they're like, oh, yeah. Or when we say, you're going to be tired, rest now. They do it and they realize, okay, this is why they told me to rest earlier. And they won't feel so exhausted by the lack of information because they already knew. Right. They already knew what to think. Um, other things that, that I thought were pretty neat in all the studies, um, they actually asked partners to use one word to describe how they felt in their birth. Um, especially the first time around, because there's a vast difference, I think, between first-time partners and then subsequent yes. births as far as what you know and what to expect. In all the studies, partners' feelings were described as um, helpless. We hear that one a lot. Mm -hmm. Useless. Oh, you're not useless. You're so, oh, my gosh. You mean so much. And this is outside of people who didn't have midwifery. Right. right? These are the people who had poor experiences. And there was 3% of people that used midwives that didn't like their experiences and use these words. And that's possible. That's why you need to find your just perfect fit when right. you're picking any provider. Um, the word anxious was used a lot. Um, and this wasn't one word, but lots of people over and over echoed, I needed support. Yeah. I was thirsty. I was hungry. I hadn't peed in six hours and, and I never was invited to do those things. 
So I felt like I shouldn't do those things. Oh my gosh, you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of somebody else. So as midwives, we're constantly saying, can I go get you a piece of fruit? Here, here's a cup. You have a drink. Go take a potty break. I'm going to be right here with her. And I know, especially for us, when we do enter those long labors, um, I try to make it a real um, goal to ask him, how are you doing? What are your thoughts? How are you feeling about this? Um, That way we can handle those insecurities and questions right then and there before they bring it to her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to talk about how they feel like they're a nuisance or they're not Mm -hmm. supposed to be in the space. Research after research after research has shown that both parents play an integral part in the holistic health of the baby, the social, um, the synapses that are that are shooting off in their brain, skin to skin with the dad, bonding, just mm-hmm. all of it over and over and over. We're reminded how important your role is. So don't negate that. Mm-hmm. It's, oh my gosh, it's so important. And just to give props, because we just had a long labor this weekend. She had 30 something hours. Um, and I just want to give props to your dad. I thought he handled it beautifully. Mm-hmm. And when she was feeling a little defeated that it was too long, he just stepped right up and said, oh, you can do this. This is what's going to happen if we go to the hospital. We don't want that. He reminded you got this. Her. He just reminded her. And he just stayed steady, Freddie, in the support. Not you know what I noticed? Doubt. Uh, when I was there, so at, props the, to you, at, the, Dad. at the beginning part, he smiled the yeah. whole time. Every time she looked up and opened her eyes to look at him, he was smiling. So even if he wasn't feeling the smile on the other side of the smile, that's what he gave her complete Every reassurance and love and joy. I got goosebumps. Yeah. Oh, he was so great. He yeah. really was. So even if he was having doubts, he never expressed it. And I even remember, like, going downstairs and he was cooking, he was cooking her some oatmeal. And I said, how are you feeling? And he was like, still steady with me. Like he never even showed me that doubt if he was feeling it. We're good. Everything's normal. He's like, he was on board. He really listened in class. And what the great thing is about midwifery support is if he weren't feeling that in that moment, he could have collapsed on us Yes, because there's such a strong relationship of Mm -hmm. trust. He could have buried his head and cried and said, I'm tired. And we would have said, I know. And that's reasonable. And sometimes um, I've seen that, and you have too, like we've seen that when it is a longer labor and she is struggling, if he can just have a moment to release it, right? Because there's a lot of emotions for him to watch the person he loves struggle and work so hard and not be able to fix it. Yeah. So that's the hardest part, y'all, is to support someone knowing you can't fix it, but just being there. Hard. It's hard. Oh, but they do so good. They do. So I also wanted to touch on the point that this crosses everybody. Because so often in research, we want to say, oh, well, how old were they? Or what was the socioeconomic status? Or what was the education level? Doesn't matter. All partners love the birther. All partners love their baby. And they have very similar experiences across the board. It didn't matter what level of education they had, what color they were, what their age was. They all echoed the same thing over and over and over. And just to drive it home, what they wanted was support. And for some, that was the only thing that led the good experience was I felt supported. Mm -hmm. That's huge. 
The other thing was a midwife's presence. So there's a difference between having support and just having somebody else in the space with you. Sometimes as midwives, our job is just to sit on the wall and be quiet because the couple has it. Mm -hmm. They are in their groove and we don't need to do a thing. But just having the presence of somebody else with a good energy. It's a backup. Yeah. I got backup. Someone's got my back. Absolutely. Um, what I put here? Oh, yeah. I said all that. Um, and then I did want to say um, that the presence of a midwife was linked to less interventions. So we saw less surgical birth less instrumental birth and all of those things when when the outcome did end up like that, the experience for the father did drop dramatically in the words they used to describe watching their partner go through things like that, especially over cesarean birth was instrumental birth. They really struggled watching that. Um, so when you use a midwife, you don't typically have all of those things because we have really great outcomes. And because those are really invasive. Oh. You know, in a C-section, you've got the little thing. So you're not actually seeing the invasiveness of a C-section. But when she's talking about a surgical birth, she's talking about using forceps or vacuum, which even as a person that has seen those things, I feel traumatized when it's I see it. It's very it's, invasive. It's good they have them. Sometimes, sometimes we need, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, do the C-section. But, but maybe in minute situations, those things have value. Value. But they're super hard to watch. They're super hard to watch. I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure that they have that much value. Um, it's so rare. Um, oftentimes I feel like it's just a lack of being patient. patient. If we're uh, patient, they patient come down. down. They come down. You just have to be patient. So it's a lack of patience, but it's hard to watch. It's very hard to watch. And the third thing, so we've got support, the presence of a midwife. And the third one is information. Don't underestimate information. Get it, get it, get it. Read it. If your provider's not giving it to you, read it. Find a good podcast. Um, it's it's out there. So there's really no excuse to not be educated. It's out there. Um, and I think you should take into account that, you know, we talk about um, how some people have trauma in their births. Even if they have a normal, perfect pregnancy and birth, it could be traumatic. Um, and I don't think we talk about the father's point of view that they can have the same same type of trauma. It may not be physically, but watching their um, loved one struggle yeah. can be traumatic for them. Absolutely. And I don't know that they really have a space to talk about that because typically when we're talking about labor and birth, it's all about the mom, right? Um, but I don't know that we give a lot of space, at least afterwards, for fathers to process those feelings of what what they went through because sometimes it can inhibit them from wanting more children, from wanting to do it again, um, make them more um, apprehensive because they're like, Oh, I don't want to do that again. Um, so well, somebody once say. told them somewhere, even if it wasn't a silent message that they don't get to talk about that. This was not for them. This was all about the mom. How dare you try to take the spotlight? Do dare take the spotlight. You know what? Most women want to hear how you felt. 
I loved hearing my husband tell our birth stories over and over again. And that, you know, that like glow haze part after the birth where you're just laying in bed, we relived it over and over and over again. And I was just marinated in his message um, of how much he loved it and valued it. And I actually asked him this morning before I left, because he's looking mighty cute in that recliner working with his little old man glasses. And I said, if you had three words, because these other men were saying words. And I was like, if you had three words. Um, and backtrack, we had two hospital births where he did feel like a nuisance and he did feel like an interference. And he actually said, you know, I was up at the top of your head. I didn't get to see anything. I didn't get to see our baby come out. My hands weren't the first ones to touch our baby. All those things is is how he felt about the first two births. Yes, they were lovely because he saw the love of his life be born and then he had two sons. But when he was talking about the home births, which is really the only words he gave me, because those are his favorite. He said his top three parts he got from the midwife were inclusion. That's a word he used. Understanding and education. And then the feeling of being connected to the experience. Mm-hmm. Those are nice. Those are yeah. really nice. I got little butterflies. Yeah. I fell in love with you more with those words. I'll have to ask Ted and see. I don't know that him and I have really talked about it from that level. Um he I'll should come to a blue tent. If we ever do a blue tent, yeah. he should come. I'd love to hear his birth stories. Yeah. And I will say, like, we have this one particular family that had a baby um, recently, and they had thought that they were going to hire a doula. Um, and that was really in their birth plan. But after they took classes and after he got more confident, then they came to the conclusion that they didn't want a doula because he wanted to play that role oh, that's nice. for her. And I thought, oh, that's really beautiful. And he did play that role for her. And he was amazing. Um, So I thought that was really cool that that through their journey, through midwifery care and childbirth education, that he did gain that confidence to step up to that role. Where before going into it, he knew nothing. And then by the end of it, through midwifery care and classes that he felt, hey, I I can do this. Yeah. And he did. Yeah, you go, Andrew. Yeah. So I've got butterflies because I'm going to read this. I'm going to actually read it off of a paper, which sounds boring, but I want you to listen. It's only going to take like two minutes. And this is a story. Um, Oh, if I cry, you're going to have to take it. Okay. All right. right. Let me follow you. Okay. Tuesday, June 5th, 2007 is a day that forever changed my life. It was the culmination of nine months of a gamut of emotions ranging from excitement and anticipation to fear and doubt. It wasn't only the day my first daughter Camden was born at home with the help of a midwife. It would have been reason enough to celebrate, but it wasn't. It was also the day that marked an enormous shift in my impression of childbirth and how wonderful it could be. My first two children, Caleb and Case, both boys, were born in a hospital the way most would picture a hospital birth. As soon as they were born, I was shown this miracle of God full of wonder, love, and trust, and then the cord was cut and that miracle of God was whisked away to be cleaned, poked, and prodded. At that time, I heard no alarms going off in my head, no voice shouting to me, this isn't right. I was just so happy to see my baby that the flood of emotions clouded my thinking. Besides, I'd seen enough films on childbirth, enough TV shows to think this is the way it goes. Boy, was I wrong. The only negative that came from my home birth was the amount of guilt I hold for not having the information I have now. On June 5th, 2007, in the comfort of my own bedroom and eventually bathtub, I experienced labor and childbirth the way I think God intended. There were no beeps, no cords, no clamps, no stirrups. 
There was just the sounds of encouragement from a loving family and words of strength and passage from a skilled and supportive midwife. I couldn't help but remember those first two births and think to myself, now this is how it's supposed to be. Once the ride of labor was over and the baby crowned, I reached down, felt her head in my hands, and welcomed her into the world as the first physical human contact she would experience. To this day, I can still feel her skin on mine, that unmistakable connection. Then there was crying, that sound that every parent listens for to know that their baby's okay. But this was different. It wasn't the loud and sharp scream that you hear in a hospital. It sounded a lot like the cries of the many people who were allowed to share this moment with us. It sounded happy. Immediately, with cords still intact, she began to nurse. The connection was established and the bond forever secured. My family, who had a role in this experience, waited their turns and then introduced themselves. My midwife, as she had done the whole time, did her work but never interfered. It was as if she slipped into frame to do her thing and slipped out to let us do ours. She described it perfectly when she said that she didn't feel like she delivered our baby. Instead, she was allowed to be part of our birth. I'm forever grateful to her for that. Later, we planted the placenta beneath a, willow, a weeping willow in our yard so that her lifeline would bring new life to a daily reminder of God's little miracles. In the end, those emotions I spoke of all went away, and I was overcome by this feeling of joy I'd never felt before. In the hospital, I always felt like a necessary evil, like I got in the way of this procedure and thus was second fiddle to the miracle of science and technology. This time, I knew that this was my birth, my voyage, and I will never return. I've been told that she's different than other babies. She's so happy and hardly ever cries, unless of course it's time to eat. She has this glow that's impossible to describe unless you see it in person. She has an effect on people, um, everyone who she meets. I can't help but think that the way that she was brought into this world has affected the way that she views this world. I too am different. I've never been happier and I feel like a better person. I know that I have this experience to thank. I now firmly believe that the miracle of birth is something that should be cherished, not scheduled and performed. It should be celebrated and respected for the miracle that it is. But what do I know? I'm just a dad. Isn't that sweet? That's my husband's first story. That's it. You guys are important. See you next time. Bye.